Hello everyone, I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is a special edition of the Kenny and Rennie Show. Dare I say it is a bonus edition of the Kenny and Rennie Show? Uh, that's right. I uh, had to start up the old Kenny and Rennie machine because of the big news. Rick Bonus officially named the new head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. We are going to have him on the show in about five minutes or so. But before we bring him in, we got to bring Kenny in. And only one of them has that great uh, intro music. So let's get at it right away. Time to bring in Kenny. Great to see you, my friend. We just came back from a nice trip down to the Stanley Cup <laughs> final where you and I both worked. And we're going to keep it rolling. You and I are heading to the draft later this week. Uh, and because of that, we should announce that we're having uh, some Kenny and Rennie shows to take you through that. How many are we doing in total, Ken? I think we're going to try to get it to five. Four for sure, but I think we're going to try to get a five five pack for, for our listeners and viewers. Uh, in the next couple of weeks here sort of leading into the draft and into free agency and and wrapping up both of those things and we figured we'd start it off with this special edition after the head coaching announcement yeah because i mean if you're a winnipeg jets fan this is an off season that is going to be filled with uh, absolutely a ton of news and and one of the biggest shoes to drop dropping today uh we are going to be in montreal uh because we're grinding to make it work and part of that is finding a way to take care of that and uh, we're being taken care of by our sponsors uh the johnson group in cambrian credit union uh so i mean they are the ones behind this show that we're doing here today so just to give you a heads up with the johnson group uh you will not find two businesses with the same challenge but you will find thirty thousand businesses with chambers plan employees benefits proudly administered by our good friends at the Johnson Group. Chambers Plan is Canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live. The plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses and its unique pooling strategy keeps rates stable so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal. Chambers Plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial, legal, and HR issues and teledoc telemedicine services are included with every health option. See how Chambers Plan can benefit your business by visiting chamberplan.com. Dot ca and of course we know it's house hunting season a lot of people are out there doing that right now let our friends at cambrian help you if you're thinking of buying a home it's a good idea to know what you can afford and to get pre-approved getting pre-approved for a mortgage is a key step so when you find that perfect home you are ready to take advantage apply to get pre-approved for a mortgage at cambrian.mb.ca and once again we just want to say thank you to them for making this happen for us uh here today uh and you know usually we get into the sponsors a little bit later in the show but we're going to have rick bonus coming on any moment here now so we wanted to make sure that we've got all the space in the world uh, to talk with him and then we'd love to talk with timmy campbell after that as well from nhl.com who's been a writer in this city for a long time we were down at the stanley cup uh, uh final with him if people haven't heard he's retiring we were at his going away dinner but not before he got in to see rick bonus who uh 
who uh, almost seemed like he, 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 is it me? Is it me, Tim? He said <laughs> from the podium, am I the reason that you're stepping aside? Uh, but no, uh, good stuff there. But Ken, I just right off the bat, just uh, your initial thoughts uh, at this stage after what looked like an exhaustive coaching search. Uh, and then, I mean, maybe somewhat of a surprise. I know that Bonus's name came up early and right off the bat, I thought very interesting. And then kind of seems to fly below the radar until boom, here he is, the next coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, it was certainly interesting, Sean. I mean, obviously, uh, as you mentioned, Rick was a guy that we wondered might be involved in the, in an associate or assistance role. But, uh, I mean, he sort of was the, there was one under the radar guy that made the interview process to the second interviews. And it was Rick. I mean, that was the one thing. I mean, we've been doing a lot of digging and a lot of due diligence, but uh, he was that mystery name that was out there that nobody really was able to pin down until the announcement came. So should that be a surprise? No. I mean, Rick Rick is a guy who told us, you know, quite frankly, during his introductory presser, um, he wasn't in a situation where he didn't have to take a job. I mean, he had three other opportunities, I think, either as an assistant or as an associate, but I guess he felt as though he was waiting for the right call. And when Kevin Sheveldayoff gave him a shout, uh, he started to get the ball rolling. And, you know, by the time the second interview or phone call happened, uh, he had decided that uh, for he and Judy it would be a great fit to come to Winnipeg. I mean, he feels that this is a team that's on the, you know, on the cusp. I think he was excited about the opportunities. He said, quite frankly, that this has looked like a team that had lost its way over the last season. They didn't look the same as they did the previous two years under his tenure. Uh, he's very familiar with the roster, having been in the Central Division here for quite a bit of time. Uh, and overall, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of upheaval on on social media and everything else, Sean, but uh, you and I have been around Rick a little bit uh, during one of the series where he was still an assistant with the, with the Dallas Stars that 2019 year where they went seven games in double overtime in Game 7 against St. Louis. Uh, Rick's the kind of guy that is a treat to talk to, a guy that just oozes passion for the game. And I think uh, this is a smart hire by the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, I think that folks, uh, the more they hear and the more they listen to Rick, I think, uh, you know, they're going to know why he was brought in to take this job. I mean, I I think this is interesting. The one thing that uh, I've always admired uh, about dealing uh, with Rick Bonus is you ask him a direct question and he gives you a direct answer. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who feels like he needs to hide from anything. So, I mean, one of the questions right off the bat is the idea that there was this very public, you know, attempt to woo Barry Trotz. Um, yep. And, you know, it was maybe the funniest moment of the press conference, <laughs> but with a guy who knows how to get a laugh out of the audience, you know, as we talked about his interaction with Tim Campbell earlier, but he'd said, if I was in his position, that's who I would be calling to was Barry Trotz. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, this is, this is a guy who's a hockey lifer who you will never find anyone within the game who has a bad word to say about him. He's extremely charming, and I just thought that was right on display right off the bat in his ability to take a situation where, you know, the Jets were pursuing a specific coach. They, can, they end up with, with him. Uh, I just think that, that I'm looking forward to this. You know, we're going to have to try and throw some grenades his way to see if we can disarm him because I haven't seen it happen yet. I don't like our chances. Uh, but uh, I'm just going to see. Uh, we've got him on the line. I just want to make sure he's there. Uh, Coach, if you if you uh, are ready to go, give us the thumbs up. Otherwise, if you guys are figuring out technical issues, we'll wait till we see the thumbs up. Um, but uh, was that a thumbs up, Ken? Is that I think I so, yeah. All I right. think I saw a th- thumbs up there. Yeah, let's We're give it a shot. In. Okay, let's do it. Uh, we are so happy to bring in Rick Bonus, the new head coach 
of the Winnipeg Jets. And I love this right off the bat. He's establishing the brand right away. It's not Rick Bonus in here. It's Bones. Um, so you know what? Well, why don't you let the audience? I've always been interested in this. I, I, I think Bonus, the, the Bones thing is pretty, is pretty obvious. But when did you get the nickname? How long have you had it? And is there a story behind it? My whole career. No, there's no real story behind it. And, and as I mentioned today, I've been calling some of the players and they they call me Rick. I say, hang on here. You're going to talk to me, man. We're going with Bones. You're going to talk to me, Rick. I don't know who you're talking to. So actually, it's been since I was a player. Uh, bonus, Bones. It just it became easier. But now that you now, but now Bones Senior, because Ryan's in Ottawa as the assistant gentleman. He's Bones Junior. I'm Bones Senior. But I go by Bones. And then I know who the heck you're talking to. Start calling me Rick and everything. I'm looking around. Who are you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, quick one on those fronts. I mean, Rick, we know the passion has always been there, Rick, but uh, where did your passion for the sport originally come from when you got going? I would say, like, my dad. Um, my dad was born in Montreal, raised in Montreal. And in that era, that was the time where he became the property of the Montreal Canadiens, no matter what. And he signed a C form. So, my, and, and you know, obviously this is a long time ago, but I grew up with dad. He, he went to training camp with the Montreal Canadiens with Jean Beliveau and Maurice Richard and those guys. So, uh, and then when I was a little kid, dad was playing senior hockey. I would go to the rink with him. And, you know, so my dad had a great passion for the game and, and he taught me that passion. But I, I just remember as a little kid going to the rink with dad, watching him play, watching him practice and the camaraderie in the room and all that things. Uh, so I, I think it, it just came from my father. Uh, and, you know, my brother, just, you know, he was with me all the time. He didn't have the same passion that I had. So I think that after a while, it just became a natural passion. I love the game. I love playing the game. And as a kid, you, you always think, oh, well, I just want to play hockey. I just I want to be a hockey player. Very, it happens to very few guys. I was very fortunate that I was able to make a, a you know, I wasn't a very good player, but I made it to the National Hockey League, and I've been able to make a a, a career out of a hockey. Uh, but again, I, I think the passion started then, and I, and I really never lost it because you're thinking life, okay. Uh, and I remember when I got into coaching, I don't mean to drag this out, but there was always supposed to be a plan B. I never had a plan B. Right? It was a, we got into coaching and then we were looking at each other, Judy and I saying, okay, well, what happens if this doesn't work? And I could never come up with a plan B because I didn't want to do anything else. So it's just a, a passion that I've had for the game and uh, I'll have it till the day I die. So Bones, maybe this isn't the best time to ask this question, maybe halfway through the next season or something, but I'm going to ask it anyways, because you've been back to the city quite a bit since it happened, but you coached the Jets in 88-89. I was in elementary school. I remember it well. Uh, we were all excited about it. What's the biggest difference between Winnipeg now and Winnipeg then outside the loss of Chi-Chi's? Uh, in terms of hockey? In terms of the team? In terms of anything. I mean, like the, the city that you left and that you come back to find it now, I'm interested in, you know, the snapshot of, of what the team was and the hockey culture, the city itself, and compared to what you see it as now. Well, it was, yeah, I was, it was playing in a different arena. We're downtown now. We didn't spend a whole lot of time downtown. Uh, when we lived here, we lived in Charleswood. Uh, we'd go to the arena back and forth. We didn't get downtown a lot. Now with the rink downtown and coming in as a visiting team and staying downtown, uh, you, you just—it's a different feel, no question. Because uh, we're yeah, just being downtown as opposed to being the arena in Charleswood. But you, the one thing that's constant with coming into Winnipeg, 
over the years is just the, the people, friendly people. Um, you know, it's just easy to talk to. Uh, it, it's just a great, it's a great city to come visit. Great visit to come to play in, and it was a great city to live in. But a lot of it has to do with the quality of the people, and you feel very comfortable coming here. What maybe stood out, or what what went through your mind when you got either that first text message or phone call from Kevin Chevalier off? Well, uh, I was very happy to get the call. Clearly, um, a bit surprised, and uh, because everything obviously had been focused on Barry, and you kind of lost track of it a little bit. But I was very surprised, and when when I got the call, and we were going to have an interview, Judy and I talked, and like as I mentioned earlier, if we're going to go back into it. Uh, we're going to make sure we work with good people. So I was very happy with Chevy because they're great people here with Chevy, Larry, and Zinger, and, and Mark with the owner. So tremendous people. Uh, and also the competitiveness of the team. Again, I had turned down a couple of offers of going in and helping a younger coach and kind of rebuild. And I, I don't want to do that again. I've done that enough. I want to stay in the league and coach. I want to have a chance to win. I believe this team has a good chance to win. We've got the great goalie. We've got the good forwards. We've got a good solid defense. So we, all the ingredients you need to have to win uh, are here. And it's going to be up to us to pull it all together. Like I, I know today's an easy day. It's, it is, right? It's talking to everybody and the uh getting the press release out, getting the press conference over. The hard work starts now, and the hard work really will start in September. Um, but, again, it's because of the people and it's because of the quality of the team that I'm excited about it. There was a line Kevin Cheveldayoff said today that, that your hiring today shows shows that this is an important time for the organization. What I took from that is that Kevin believes that like you believe there's a roster that can do something here. And his belief, same belief that you share about yourself is that you can get this turned around quickly. Is that what you take from that in his, his assertion that this is an important time and that your hire shows that? I think anytime you have a team like the jets that had a good couple of years and all of a sudden it, it loses its, it loses its way a little bit. And you all of a sudden you're out of the playoffs. Uh, and I think in, in, in today's NHL, as we all know, it's hard to make the playoffs. This is a tough, tough league, and you, you don't want to miss the playoffs for a couple of years in a row. And so when you have a roster and the age of the roster, you, you know, okay, we, we've got to get back in the hunt here, got to get our foot back in the door in the playoffs and, and go from there. But, again, you don't want to miss the playoffs a couple of years in a row. It just it just things start to slide. So with the team we have here, we've got to, we've got to stop that slide at one year and whatever reasons it, it lost its way, we've got to work very hard. And it's not going to be easy. It, listen, it, it, it went backwards. we got to get it going on the right track. It's not a switch. Then we're flicking this switch, and we're back to where we were. It's not going to be easy. And it's going to be a lot of hard work from the players, a lot of hard work from the coaches, but we're all willing to do that. It, so um, it's an important time, and but we all have to dig in here. And again, to think it's just going to happen overnight or happen easily, it's not. It's going to be a lot of hard work, and we all have to be bought in here and make sure that the, the work is there, the commitment is there, the consistency is there, and then we're going to be okay. Outside of the familiarity you have with one another, why was it important to have Scott O'Neill on the staff? Well, Ernie and I have known each other for uh, forever, and we, you know, I played with him a little bit in the '81 season, '82, and uh, coached him in there. And we've always had a good rapport. Um, it's important to me to have a, a, 
a good coach on this, you know, an excellent coach, but a just as good a person. And Arnie fits that bill. He's an excellent coach. He's had a lot of respect in this league. He's had a lot of success in the league. And it's because he's a good coach. And just as important, he's a good person. He is. He's a wonderful person. He's a wonderful man, good family guy, uh, good values. And he's well respected again. In inside, inside and outside of the league, so it's important to me if we're gonna when we build our staff to get good people, the same as the management and ownership, and good communicators. And Arnie fits the bill for sure. I talked to a current NHL coach one time. It was a little bit of an eye opener for me. I asked him about you know coming into town and preparing for guys like Wheeler and Shifley, and he said, "I never prepare for specific players. I prepare for the other coach." Uh, and so he really t- believed in like the coaching matchup and going head to head. I believe in that too, especially in the playoffs. And I believe that, you know, the run that you guys went to the, to the Stanley cup in 2020, you beat a Jared Bednar led team. You beat a Pete DeBoer led team last year. You took, you know, the Jack Adams winning trophy uh, coach uh, to game seven overtime. I'm interested in your philosophy. Do you see um, the, the, your role as being, you know, kind of a coach's matchup, especially once you get to the playoffs or, or do you see, do you minimize that role and say it's a lot more the players speaking for themselves? I, I think it's both. You have to know the coach. You have to know his tendencies. You have to know the adjustments he's probably going to make from game to game. Uh, but you have to know the players and you have to know their systems. And you have to, so because you, the coach is going to take what he has and, and you're going to look for the adjustments that you think he's going to make. You try to stay one step ahead of him. You never know until you actually see it. But you have to know the coach. You have to know his strengths. You have to know how he likes to utilize players, uh, his line matchups after they score, after they're scored on, uh, how they're going to change momentum, the adjustments he'll make with his lines. So it is important that you know the coach without a doubt. And, but then you've got to watch the players and how they're being utilized and the adjustments that they made on the ice. And you've got to be able to make your adjustments as well. So for me, it's both. Who are some of the coaches that influenced you in the early days, Rick? Maybe first as a player, and then when you made the transition, you had the one year as a player coach in Sherbrooke. We'd like to get into that maybe a little bit later. But were there, was there anybody that you like really enjoyed playing for that is sort of part of how what molded your philosophy? Uh, I guess you know, I really date myself, but it, my first year pro was in Tulsa, the Central League, and we won the championship, and the coach was Orland Curtinback. And in that era, there was no video. There was no computers. There was no videotape at all. But he let us play. He let us play to our strengths and just – and that was this big message, just go play. And I've always – when I got into coaching, I always – I'm going to coach – the way I wanted to be coached, and that's let you have the freedom to play. Uh, now, as time goes on, went on, uh, Tom Watt was a good influence on me as well because Tom was the first guy who came in with the Hockey Canada background that I played for, that I was around, and the importance of of, of preparation and details to practice, detail to me. He was the first coach that I played for that wasn't an ex-player, and because every coach I played for was an ex-player. And it was go out there and work hard and, and do your best. But Tom was Tom had his practices organized. He had drills organized. So he was the first guy, player coach that I played for. And uh, I know that's a while ago. That was that Hockey Canada background. Um, and But then after that, I, I think as a coach, I, I always say we're going to do it my way. It, it, every, every coach has their own way of doing things. And you, you can't be somebody else. You have to be yourself. And like I said, if I'm going to coach, I'm going to coach the way I wanted to be coached. Uh, I think it cost me my job in Boston, to be honest, because in that era, 
it was old school. It was don't communicate is my way or the highway. I was the exact opposite of that. I was kind of, I'm going to talk to the players. I'm going to communicate with the players. It, I don't think it went over with management, which was fine. If you're going to lose your job, do, lose your job doing it your way. That, that's just life. And so I, I, other than those two guys, I've just kind of done it my way and made a lot of mistakes. I uh, made some career decisions that probably weren't the best, right? That kind of held me back. But I learned from everything. I didn't let the past, I didn't dwell on the past. I looked at the past, learned from it, and moved on and got ready for the next day. Uh, but I've kind of just kind of coached my own way um, and, 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 and very comfortable doing it. And, again, if it costs you your job doing it your way, it's a whole lot better than losing your job trying to do it trying to be somebody you're not, trying to do somebody else's, do the way they did things. I've always done it my way, right or wrong. That's the way we're going to do it. That's great advice in life. One of our uh, audience members wants to know what your anti-aging secrets are. We're not going to get you to go into the beauty care routine, although I am going to get you to do it off air because I could use some of those tips. But uh, one of the challenges you're going to be facing here is uh, correcting the room, which, you know, there was a lot of talk uh, towards the end from the players. It got a little bit open. It seemed like there were some issues in there. You used a line today, and I loved it. You said, I hate gray areas. How does eliminating gray areas help in, in setting a room in the direction it needs to go? Well, that's the message from the coaching staff. So it all, it all goes back to what is and isn't acceptable play behavior. Uh, so I, I, I meet with every player when I can, and you talk about, okay, th this is acceptable with your play. This isn't. So when we start seeing this in, we're going to correct it. Uh, your behavior, your work habits, what is and what isn't acceptable. And it's very important from the coaching, the community, the, the communication part of that. That's how you get it across. The, this, this is what we expect. And these are the standards that we want to apply to. And we need everyone to apply to that and, and reach those standards. And when they come underneath, then it's up to the coach to address it with the player. Then it's up to the player to make some adjustments the way he does things. So uh, a lot of it is what is and what isn't acceptable. And so, and if you do that, this is acceptable, this isn't. There's no gray area in there, right? This is acceptable, this isn't. And so that kind of how it helps eliminate that gray area. And when it comes to the communication that you talked about, uh, how do you, how have you been able to forge those connections the way that you have throughout your entire career and to be able to adapt to the, you know, the modern player that you touched on uh, earlier on today as well? Yeah. Listen, every generation changes. And, you know, if you go back to that, <laughs> the line in the money ball, when Brad Pitt's firing the head coach, he's to, he tells him adapt or die. <laughs> so I guess this kind of just been a natural thing for me over the years. You can see the game changing. You can see the attitudes of the players changing. There comes, they're not going to change that much for you. This is how they were born. This is how they raised us, how they've been treated, playing into working their way into the National Hockey League. You've got to find a way to communicate with them because that's what they've done their whole life. And you've got to find a relate to, to, to relate to them. And, and again, this era of my way, the highway, long gone. Uh, you've got to find a way to get them on board. And the only way to do that is to talk to them, find out, spend as much time as you can with each individual guy, find out their background, find out everything you can about them. What makes them happy? What makes them tick? What they don't like? And, and you, it, it takes a little time to watch their habits. It takes a little time talking to them. But again, it, it's always going to go back to the communication. So that that's 
that's the biggest thing for me is to be able to relate to these players and um, just show that you care. I have to show the players that I care about them, and I do. Uh, I love all the players that I play for now. Some of them hate you because you don't play them enough and all that. That all comes with the territory. But I want all my players, at least you may not like how I, I utilize you, but you're going to respect the fact that I do care about you and I care about your career. Um, you alluded to the uh, the Jets, you know, having success in 2018, kind of tailing off after that, and the need to kind of pull out of that, you know, nosedive, if you will. I don't want to make it sound too dramatic. Uh, I covered the 2015 Cup Final when you were in Tampa, when you became a storyline as that series went on. Uh, um, and I know you weren't with them for a long time, but this is a team that, you know, had success, kind of nosed down a little bit, and then has pulled up, and we all know what Tampa's done ever since. I know that you weren't with them the entire time that happened, but... Um, are there lessons you take away from them? And if not them, other teams that you've coached in the past to kind of address what you're seeing right now with the Jets? Well, you, if you go back to that Tampa team. So they were built one way. They were going to score goals. And um, when we went to the finals that year, we weren't ready um, in, in, in some key areas. And, and that would got exposed the year they had that great year. And then they lost four straight to Columbus. They weren't going to win in the playoffs the way they were playing hockey. So if you recall that, they went out and changed probably half their roster. And they got that third and fourth line grinders. It wasn't all just about scoring goals and looking pretty doing it because they had a ton of talent. You had, they had to learn how to play in the playoffs. And that, that four-game sweep of Columbus opened up their eyes. Columbus battled them. They played hard. They competed and, and made it physical, made it hard for the elite players to play. And Tampa really had no response to that. So what do they do? They changed the, their for some of the half their team, uh, probably eight guys, and they changed the way, the way those guys played it. You got to remember those Stanley Cups, the third and fourth line for Tampa Bay were huge. They won the they won they scored the goals that one one series and won the cup. So you look at Tampa and you say, okay, this is what they were. But then they became. They could win defensively. They could win hard physical play. And you have to be able to do both in today's NHL. So the lessons I learned from Tampa is that you, you've got to be able to, you, you're not going to be able to play in the win in the National League just by scoring goals. You're just not. You look at Colorado. They knew how to buckle down in that game. They, mm -hmm. game they won 2-1. to one. They yeah. didn't try to win that game 5-1. They try to win the game 2-1. to one. So it's, it shows you've got to have your, your scores. Your grinders have got to be effective and you've got to have, and then everyone is playing their role and then you can play different, you can play any type of game the opposition wants to play. You want to play fast? We can play fast. You want to play physical? We can play physical. Uh, so you, you've got to be able to adjust your team in, in those in those areas. And, and that's what Tampa did a really good job of. They just kind of rebuilt the team, rebuilt their attitude, rebuilt the way they were going to play and it worked. Derek Laxtall uh, told me a great story on the weekend about how it's sort of a misnomer. People think you're a defensive coach, Rick, but it's more about the checking part so that you can get to the fun part of the game. How do, how do you get to that point where people are committed, whether it's on back pressure or, or you know, knowing your assignments and routes, in order to you'll get people to understand that if you're committed to checking, you'll have the puck more and can get on the offensive attack more? Well, exactly. And that again, that goes back to our our sales pitch and our ability to communicate that message to our team. You want to win? You've got to play well without the puck. You want to play? You've got to play hard without the puck. If you go back to Dallas before we got there, they could score, but they missed the playoffs. 
So, so what's the point? We're all in it to win. You got to find a way to win. Uh, those guys learn, okay, we're going to win and we're going to move forward. We got to play better defense. And they, they bought into it. Now that, you know, you're not trying to stifle them. You want to get them the puck as quick as you can, but you lose the puck. You got to have five guys working together to get it back. If you've got two guys working to get it back and the other guys waiting for the puck, you're going to spend a lot of time in your zone. You're not going to win. Eventually you are not going to win. You need five guys to play exactly what you talked about back pressure, uh, coming back in the defensive zone hard, knowing your responsibilities, knowing your covers, so you, you can get the puck back quicker and you can have a lot of fun with it, especially with the skill level this team has. So, listen, when I was in Vancouver, led the league in scoring. Tampa, we led the league in scoring, but we got the puck back. And w- when you get the puck back, now it's the, the skill level of the players. Now we you work on your breakouts, you work on your entries, you work on your ozone play and all those things, and we do that every day. Uh, eventually it's going to come down to the ability of the player to put the puck in the net. And, but you've got to be able to play five men getting that puck back and five guys working to keep the puck and, and have some fun with it, make some plays, get some goals. Um, Chevy had a real interesting comment today in, in that the process of going and, and interviewing all these different coaches is a real education, right? You get all these brilliant hockey men come rolling in and giving you an idea of what they think your team needs and how they would address that. It's a crash course in, in what may be ailing your team. Um, I, I wonder, and I don't want to dig too deep or, or, I mean, as deep as you want to go, I don't want you to be giving up too much, but I wonder what you feel, never mind dealing with the players, I wonder what you feel you are able to teach up in the organization, information from your long life in hockey that you're able to kind of illuminate Chevy in his role or maybe even Mark Chipman in his role. Well, again, it's just, it's my experiences that I've had uh, with different organizations, with different players. Um, they're gonna, they want to include me in all those discussions. They're going to hear what I have to say. Uh, you know, so there's the general managers are sometimes around the league. You, you coach the players we got, and we'll take care of the rest. You know, Jimmy Neal was good. We had a lot of communication. Chevy and the Mark can be really good. They're going to ask me my opinion on players I've coached, on my opinion on what we need. I'm going to give it to them. And mm. again, it's, sometimes you're hearing things you don't want to hear. You can't be afraid of those conversations. If it's an honest conversation, have it. Uh, but I, I know that's what I mean. Go, they're good people. Uh, when they're making decisions on, on players, I, I'll be included. I'll give them my input. The decisions on, on who's here, that's their final call. Uh, if they want my opinion, they're going to get it. You touched on the Colorado Avalanche briefly and the answer about Tampa or the question about Tampa. What does it mean when the gold standard resides in your division and the Stanley Cup champion is there for the teams to be chasing, if you will? This is the, this is the toughest division in hockey. As I mentioned earlier, Minnesota, great team. St. Louis, great team. Like Dallas, really good team. Winnipeg, really good team. You've got to somehow find a way to. to so you got now you got to you got to deal with the Colorado Avalanche every game. They're a great hockey team. You got to find ways to beat them. That, but if you find those ways to stay competitive with them and, and eventually beat them, you're going to become the you're going to become the next Stanley Cup champion. You're going to be the top of the team uh, in the division, but. Right now, it's a matter of finding a way to slow down Colorado and and try to emulate what they do and beat them at their at, at the whatever game works to beat them. Um, so that's a, that's a, that's a good challenge for all of us. And you've got to have the depth that they have, the speed that they have. They are fast, and they got li- every line coming at you with fast and their speed, and they handle the puck. So you've got to find ways to skate with them, 
You've got to find ways to slow them down when you have to. Uh, and you've got to find ways just to keep their top end guys under control a little bit. So that, that is the great challenge of the Ditcher King. Now where you got the defending Stanley Cup champions in our division, that's how the, that's the standard. Now we've got to keep pushing to get that, to close that gap with them. I like how you talked earlier about the importance of, you know, when a team dips below the playoff line, you don't want, you don't want to hang out below there for a while. You want to correct things as quickly as you can. I'm guessing that comes with a sense of urgency that you start with this already. When you take a look at this roster and some of the players like Mark Scheifele, you've got him under contract for two more years. Pierre-Luc Dubois, two more years. Uh, your goaltender, who you've brought up a number of times, um, Blake Wheeler, your captain. Does that add to the sense of urgency? And is a sense of urgency something you embrace or is that something you kind of have to shield out and ignore? No, I think you embrace it. Uh, I, I, I like, and, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk to Blake yet. We played phone tag, but I could sense that urgency in Mark Shifley and Connor. Like they, there's an urgency to them. They don't like where they, where they finished last year. They don't like missing the playoffs. So that sense of urgency, that's going to come from those guys. That they want to make the playoffs. They don't like how the team looked last year. They don't like they're missing the playoffs. So it's will will we communicate that? Will we be on top of that? Absolutely. Does that sense of urgency have to come from the players? Just yes, absolutely it does. But for the conversations I've had with these guys so far, they all I I hear it in their voice. I sense it, and they want to get back on the ice and they want to redeem themselves. So that sense of urgency, it's. It, we're going to be communicating as a staff with all the players, but eventually it has to come from the players themselves. And from the good news is from what I'm seeing and talking to these guys, they feel it and they want to get back on the ice and they want to redeem themselves. Yeah. You said that was part of where the buy-in starts. Uh, I know there's some things that have to stay private, but what was it about the conversation with Mark Scheifele that told you that he was all in? Just his tone, like the tone, you could hear the passion. Uh, and I loved it. Um, because again, I know what all the conversations were going on at the end of the year. I, I'm not sure how it was a misconstrued, whatever, whatever. It's not important right now. What's important that I, I just sense and heard a passion in his voice that he wants to get back on the ice and he wants to help lead this team back into respectability, back into the playoffs. So it was more the tone of his voice, the passion in his voice, and the points he were making were very, very legitimate. And they were right on from from everything I understand that went on here. So uh, I, I think it was more of that. He was accepting responsibility as a, as one of the better players, and but it was more the tone and the, the passion of his voice that really excited me. I personally, Bones, was really surprised when I heard that you weren't going to be back with uh, with the Dallas Stars. Um, you know, based on your body of work over the last little while. You did a great job of explaining it today. And one of the things that you brought up was, you know, sensing that there maybe needed to be a new voice there. Um, we we know what that's like here in Winnipeg. It's what Paul Maurice said when he left the team earlier last year. So I wonder as a coach, if you could give us an idea of what are some of the telltale signs that you see in a roster that maybe they need a new voice other than the one you're providing? Uh, that's a good question. And, and that's a tough that's a tough answer. I, I think it goes back, but I just think it goes back to our feel. Our walking into the room, um, the, the preparation, the benches. It's a lot of little things that you feel and you, and you start to see a little bit. So you can see things creeping in that weren't there before. Um, you can see body language that you didn't see before. 
You can feel something on the bench or walking into the locker room that you didn't quite feel before. Uh, It's just a a bunch of little things that add up. And I'm not saying it's it's the right thing to do, but sometimes um, you got to go with your gut. You got to go with your instincts. And if you feel that, then it's time. Uh, that's a different voice. I don't like the fact what's going on around the league. Your coaches every three years now. I like that bothers me a lot. Uh, you look at Tampa; they've got one coach, or Bednar, then they're one coach a long time. Um, so, you know, it goes back to your players and everything. There's just a lot of little things involved there. It's not an easy question to answer. It's just, it's just feel and seeing what it, just what you see, what you feel. Um, and sometimes you need, you know you need a couple of trades to shake things up, and if they don't, then you just need to, okay maybe it's time. I think that's just more my feel, and it is. I don't know if I'm explaining that properly. Uh, it, it it just goes by feel more than anything. How are you able to navigate the potholes? I mean, sometimes when you have a team in transition where, you know, Jamie and Tyler had been the, the guys for so long, and then you have the emergence of a Rope Hintz and a Jason Robertson, how do you how do you keep the buy-in from those guys and knowing that their role is still important, even though their minutes might be reduced slightly? Well, it's not so much their minutes, but I think the players see that as well. I think those two guys you're talking about, they saw how good those the chemistry that they had and the results they were getting. So it, Sometimes you say, wow, that's working. That line's really good. So let them go. Like the players want to win too. Like Jamie and Tyler, they want to win just as bad as anybody. So if they're, if they're, if their role to change a little bit, they didn't let their ego get in their way. They put the team first and they said, wow, that line is a, they are, they are, that's our best line. And, you know, I kept telling Rupe, you're our best forward. Take over, take charge. That's your guy. Robo, you're our best goal scorer. You don't, it takes a little while for those guys to get over the hump on that. And that, okay, it's not Jamie now. It's not Sagan now. It's you guys. That wasn't an easy transition for them. I found them reluctant to take that role. I had to keep pushing them. Like, listen, it's your time now. It's just, you are the best players we have. Take over. And that wasn't an easy thing for them. It was more of them uh, accepting that responsibility and, and, and get moving past Jamie and Sagi than it was Jamie and, and Sagi. Uh, but Jamie and, and Tyler, they want to win. They saw how good that line was, and that helps as well. Now, if you're putting players out there that aren't producing and aren't doing as much as they did, then you have a whole other problem. But the, fortunately, that that wasn't the issue. The issue, okay, listen, they're our best line. They're going to play in those situations. Here's your, your might go now second power play unit, and they accepted it without any, without any issue. Their numbers weren't as good. They've all dropped over the last couple of years. Hopefully they can get it going back again. But for the for that transition, it was me more pushing Rupe and Robo to get them over the hump of, of you know, we we're taking over from Jamie and Tyler as the top guys than it was anything else. Jamie and, and Segi, they were the easy part. Pushing the other two, that was more of the challenge. <laughs> um, Ken and I have both been lucky enough to, to cover a number of series that you've been either assistant coach or a coach on. Uh, and so clearly we still have a lot that we're going to need to learn about you and your tendencies and so on and so forth. But one thing that you've talked about a lot already today, and one thing that kept coming up time and time again, every time I've talked with players who've worked with you, is your ability to have those tough 
conversations, the one you said you that you'll have with Mark and Chevy, the ones that you'll have with your players, um, and that you, you, your your willingness to do so, your ability to do so. Did that come built in? Did that come from your dad? When did you learn that that was a direct, you know, handling things direct was the way to do it in the NHL? Because I don't think every coach does that. It's when I go back to say, if I'm going to coach, I'm going to coach the way I wanted to be uh, as a player. I wanted to be coached. I had a coach once and I went in, uh, I sat on the bench the whole game. And I went in the next day and I said, just, just give me something that I can work on so I can play a little bit more. And he said, he said, well, you got to work harder. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's all I've got, man. <laughs> all I've got is passion. All I got is a hard work. Give me something better than that. And and he couldn't. So that's what I'm telling myself. Well, I'm going to coach. And the player's going to come. I got to give him something, whether he wants to hear it or not. I'd rather give him something that he doesn't want to hear than tell him something that doesn't make any sense. So I, I think it just goes back to me saying, when I coach, I'm going to coach the way I wanted to be coached. And if there's tough conversations, don't be afraid of them. You got to deal. You got to look them in the eye. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. But I'd rather that than beat around the bush and, and give them something that's doesn't doesn't mean anything. Just a quick philosophical question. Uh, I mean, in modern day, I mean, are you are you a guy who looks more of a traditional top six, bottom six, or are you more of a top nine and have a checking line, or how do you sort of view that with the roster that you currently have, or will that be yeah, something well, that's in I, transition? When I get to know the team a lot better, uh, I think that's going to be an easier question to answer. Uh, the score of the game, uh, how are things are going, the tempo of the game, how each line is playing. Sometimes you shorten the bench. Sometimes you're rolling four lines because every four, all lines are going and no one deserves to sit. So a lot of that is known when I get to know the personnel better. A lot of that is based on the flow of the game. And uh, there was times last year that we we like to roll four lines when there's a lot of games. If it's not going, you shorten your bench and you go to three lines that are going. It doesn't mean it's the top three lines. Maybe your fourth line is out there creating a, a chemistry and creating energy. Let them play. Don't don't let them sit. And I was always a fourth line player, and I always knew when. Okay, we got this team going. We're banging guys. We're getting them going, and then we sit, right? Because the other guys are going. You play the line. Play the guys that you feel are going. And that's an inexact science. Sometimes you're, you're, you're playing the guys that you think are going, but you know somebody else might not think that way. But that's the way it is. But for me, it all depends on the tempo of the game and the player, players you have and the roles that they have. And I'll be able to answer that question when I get to know our team a little bit better. So, Bones, if you ever make the mistake of saying yes to coming on the Kenny and Rennie show again, uh, the, one, the one thing I'm not putting my thumbs up. Is that it? <laughs> Blink, blink, yeah. blink twice if you're being held against your will. <laughs> yeah. the, the one thing you need to know is you need to self-regulate. Like, we're going to keep talking to you until you go. So, like, give us a, two more questions, guys, or something like that. No but uh, We uh, all I, have a I'm, job to do, and we all got to work together. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I'm really interested in your path from being, you know, a head coach earlier on in your career, an assistant coach. You've head coached a number of teams, been an assistant coach for a long time. I was really interested – when you did the, you know, when you took Dallas on that run to, to the Stanley Cup final in 2020, and it seemed like, if I remember correctly, it went into the offseason. I would have thought it would have been an obvious that you would have stayed there as the head coach, which you did, but it didn't seem like you were entirely sold on that. And I'm interested in, you know, the, the path that you've gone from being, I know you said earlier today, you've never held a lot with labels, associate coach, assistant coach, head coach, as long as you're coaching. 
But uh, I wonder what that path back to being a head coach, to being the number one guy on the coaching staff has been like and, and, and kind of your philosophy on, on returning to that spot. Well, firstly, sometimes you're, you're an assistant coach and you can see the team sliding, you're not playing well, and, okay, something's going to happen here. When I took over in, in Dallas, it was the exact opposite. We were playing well. And on a, one night I'm going to bed as the assistant. Next morning I'm coming to the rink and you're now the head coach. And I'm, wow, I wasn't ready for that. Even though, even though a coach as long as I have, you, you have to, you, yeah, anyways, it's throwing it. You don't see it coming at all. And so it, it took me a little while to get back into the, being a head coach again and making the decisions and, 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 People coming after the media coming after the trainers coming after the players coming. After. It's a totally different role, and it, and it and it did t- it did take me a while to get back to use to that managing your time, managing people differently. As the associate assistant coach, I always ran the D and the penalty kill. You work with a small group of guys, and you build a nice rapport with them. Well, now you're all of a sudden in in that quick that oh you're not the head coach. You got you're in charge of everything it took a little while to get back to being comfortable with that because it had been a long time since i had been the head coach and I, you just kind of get into that role and you kind of go with it and you're very comfortable with it so now i had to get out of my comfort zone very as quick as i could and uh again that because the team was playing so well it wasn't like i was going to even have to change anything but when the season went into the pause because of covid and then we were coming back to training camp in june or july <laughs> whatever crazy thing that was, we had met as a staff and said, okay, how do we take this team to the next level? And we had to get more goals. So we had to get our defense involved. So that's kind of when I really took over and said, okay, this is what it, we had time to make adjustments. We had time to make changes. And that was kind of like the head coach coming in saying, okay, this is what we're doing. And this is the changes that we're going to make. When your team was playing well, like we were, you're not going to go in there and make a lot of changes. But when we had the pause, we first of all, we weren't playing well when the pause hit, which is okay. You're going to go through those things. But when we came out of the pause and we went to that training camp, we had a new plan. And that's kind of when the head coach kind of thing took over again. Um, Bones, I just want to say we really appreciate the time you gave us here. You gave us far too much time. Uh, not for us. We'll take as much as we'll take, but uh, uh, we didn't deserve that much time. We appreciate it. Um, and we got to say we're looking forward uh, to this era. I've always enjoyed covering you. I've always enjoyed uh, you talk about, you know, having tough conversations. Uh, I find that has always applied to you in the media as well. When you when you are asked tough questions, you always kind of tackle them head on and never kind of seems like it's something that, that rubs you the wrong way. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this uh, and I'm looking forward to see what happens. I think it's an exciting time for the Winnipeg Jets and hopefully it's an exciting time for you. Thanks very much. And I, again, I wish we had that magic switch to flick. We're turning everything around. It's going to take a little time. It's going to take a lot of hard work, but we're all in and we're going to get it done. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. Uh, Enjoy your summer. All right. You too. All right. Let's jump right from there and bring in Timmy Campbell, who uh, is going to have a heck of a perspective here uh, because he's been working the beat a long time. Retiring. We're so upset about it. We are already at the retirement party. Uh, But this is, you know, retro night. I, I bugged him about asking what uh, what's changed other than Chi-Chi's being shuttered and the arena moving downtown. <laughs> uh, but I'm interested in your perspective, Tim. How much have you seen of Bones over the years since he's left Winnipeg? And how much evolution, how much growth have you seen out of him? 
Well, he's an interesting character, guys. Um, you know, as you well know, I mean, everybody knows the the resume. Um, you can look back into the, I think, I believe it was 83, 84, when, when his coaching actually began in the Jets organization. Um, so, I don't know. For me, you know, I had that early encounter when I first came to Winnipeg. I mean, I was less than two years uh, two years on the job when uh, the Jets promoted him from coach in Moncton to coach of the Jets. And that was the very beginning, if you'll recall, the Mike Smith era. I mean, John Ferguson had been just relieved of his duties. I think it would be about maybe three to four months before Rick was named coach. Uh, but the season started badly, and that's why Fergie was fired. And it didn't really get any better under Dan Maloney. And, you know, the team, I think they'd lost seven of eight when Rick was was called on to come up and coach the team. And it really didn't get a whole lot better for the rest of the season. So, um, you know, the early encounter was a sort of a positive one, but of a guy trying to, you know, stop a sinking ship. And that, that ship just kept on sinking. Um, they made some big changes in that offseason, as I recall. That's when Bob Murdoch uh, came in to coach Winnipeg and, and, you know, that was the very end of the Dale Howarchuk era. And, you know, Dale, though the team went up the next year, Dale was very unhappy with his role. It was a pretty hard four-line game. Um, and, you know, roster used top to bottom, whereas Dale had always been used to, you know, having his uh, whopper share of of ice time. So, I mean, that be that as it may, Rick, you know, went a different way. I remember, actually remember talking with him fairly often when he was the coach of the Ottawa Senators and just – you know, thinking, oh my gosh, these poor guys, like this team is so bad. You know, how do they, how in February do you get up and go to the rink with any joy, uh, with any enthusiasm, you know, when it's going this badly? And, you know, he persevered through some really, really awful times there as well. So, um, you know, there were some not so great stops along the way, but I think the thing that I admired the most was his, his persistence. And then, he got hooked up with Elaine Vigneault uh, in the Vancouver Canucks organization. And to me, that was such a good a good marriage. He was a good complement to Elaine's style and, um, you know, a good rapport. He's always had a good rapport with players. And, you know, I really think he thrived in that, that culture there in Vancouver. And I, I don't want to say it was all his doing, it was, but it was some of his doing. They had good chemistry and a good mix in Vancouver. They knew how to use their players and you know and then he went from that to the Tampa situation um where you know he he I think he made a lot of friends and a lot of admirers for his coaching work in that organization I mean that's pre-Stanley Cup lightning but but it was in the formative years I mean remember writing uh, about Rick and talking to a lot of people about Rick two years ago in the bubble in Edmonton and one of the one of the big fans, you know, the rah-rah guys about Rick Bonus was Victor Hedman. Um, you know, one of the best human beings Victor said he's ever met. Helped him immensely when he was a young player, get his career kind of on the right rails and give him the right perspective. So there are many examples of that al along Rick's way. And I guess the big point is this, Sean and, and Kenny, that, you know, Rick's best work is his most recent work. Um, mm -hmm. He has a long resume, but nobody nobody this week hired rick bonus because he was the coach of the jets in the 90s or or you know he was he tried to be the coach of a really bad senators team you know after that and and some of those tough early jobs he had nobody's hired him because of that 
I think his best work is his most recent work, and it, it stands out. And uh, I think we saw that on display today at, at the Canada Life Centre. He's kind of a disarming, personal guy. You guys have just experienced, you know, some one-on-one time with him. It's really easy to talk to. And he, you know, he knows what he has to say. And he, I don't know, my experience with him overall is he gets along with people. I mean, that's that's a, away from the rink as well. I've had some golf experiences in the past with Rick. And, you know, he's someone you just want to spend a day with. Um, so this is the kind of guy they've, you know, they've asked to come in here and straighten out the issues. And, uh, you know, they are really relying on the whole package, not just Rick Bonus's X's and O's and, you know, secret confidence conversations that'll be held in the back rooms. It's the whole package. Rick Bonus, you know, the guy, you know, who Rick Bonus is, he's, you know, that's the thing that's going to help straighten this Jets team out. This is why True North, I think, has hired him. Timmy, you know both guys really well, and it's interesting when two guys, have they've com- competed for jobs against one another before, they're intimately familiar with one another. Why do you think this partnership with Scott O'Neill as the associate and Rick as the head coach has the potential to have success? I think it's got a lot of potential because these guys have been in sync for a long, long time. I mean, you know, they coached and played together in the 80s. I mean, when Rick turned from um, from playing to coaching, you know, he was connected to Scott O'Neill in that, in that Jets era way back when, and it's gone right through. Um, you know, this morning before I went down to the rink for the press conference, I, I actually went into this file that I had compiled in, in 2020 when the bubble was going on. I, I uh, One of the projects I did when the, when the playoffs were on that year was to write a feature story about Rick and, you know, let's, let's delve into a little bit of why he's having this success with Dallas. And so I made a long list of people I might or should try to talk to. I think I had probably had about 30 different names on it and from teammates to fellow coaches to, you know, associates and other people he's dealt with in different organizations over the year. And what I found was kind of what Chevy joked about a little bit today that Chevy said today, in case anyone hadn't heard, that he was probably one of the only players in the existence of professional hockey that Rick hasn't coached. Well, you know, they were already talking that way in in 2020 um, about him. I mean, he worked for Jim Nill that time and Jim and him uh, were connected to the Jets of the past. And every, you know, he said about Calgary that year, they, they put Calgary out, I believe, in that playoffs that Calgary, he looked down that Calgary roster and he couldn't find anybody he coached before or had any connections to, summer connections. And he actually couldn't believe it himself that he'd been in the game that long, but he found a team that had he had absolutely no connections to. So, you know, it's it's the connections and, you know, the, the that that make it. And that's where we go to Scott O'Neill, that these guys are so connected. I, I actually spoke to Scott O'Neill about this piece I wrote. It's only two years ago. It's not even two years ago. And, you know, the quotes were extensive about, you know, Rick's not, he's not, probably known as the greatest strategist of all times he didn't invent the left wing lock but he connects with players and he connected with me all these years ago it's why we're still friends and colleagues and connected and you know scott raged on and on and on about what a good fit he's been in dallas and why these players will play so hard for him so if there's anyone out there that knows rick bonus in terms of the person Rick Bonus and the coach Rick Bonus think Scott O'Neill has has 
you know, he's obviously made an effort to keep that friendship up and that, and that relationship up over the years. So to me, these guys, it's going to be like, um, it's going to be like having one kind of one brain in charge of what's going on. Now. So you can, you can already, I think, assume cohesiveness and, you know, being on the same page, a consistent message that they'll be a unified group trying to lead this Jets team. This question may kind of go counter to, to what you were just talking about, because clearly one of the things that makes him a special coach and has kept him around for a long time is his ability to have relationships with his players, his ability to get buy-in from his players. Not as known as much to your point as a tactician, but I see a coach who in the last three years, I mean, four, four coaches have gone to the Stanley Cup final in the last three years. He's one of them. Uh, on the way there, he knocked off Jared Bednar in a far superior Colorado Avalanche team. And he knocked off, uh, knocked off Pete DeBoer and a far superior Vegas Golden Knights team. And then this year, he took the Jack Adams winning coach uh, to seven-game overtime this year. Now, he had a hot goaltender. No one's denying that. But, I mean, there's some defensive prowess that's built into that system. And, and that series looked a certain way. It was a defensive grind. Yes, Calgary scored a lot. Uh, sorry, uh, Calgary got a lot of shots, but it was a grind that series. So I, I wonder, um, I, I wanted your take on him as a tactician. I don't know if you were on when he was talking about how he sees his philosophy and going head to head as a coach, but I guess as the coach of the Winnipeg Jets, how often do you think he, the Jets are poised to walk into a building and be out coached tactics wise with uh, Rick Bonus on their bench? Well, that seems unlikely to me, Sean, right out of the gate. And I, your examples are, are really strong. I'll go back to what I said to you a little bit earlier that, um, you know, Rick's best work is, you know, the last give or take 10 or 12 years. I mean, I, shouldn't that be the way it is with a coach? Yeah. You would think a coach who can adapt and learn and adjust and, uh, you know, maximize the return of his players, that would be kind of his trajectory. I, you know, I guess there are some coaches in the history of the league who maybe would hit the hill on, the, you know, on the back nine and start to go down. But, I mean, Rick's 67. That's no secret. But to me, his best work is recently. And what you say, I mean, he he fit into the Vancouver system. He fit into the Tampa system. They hired him in Dallas to be more of a support guy because they were trying, you know, they were trying to, you know, implement a new coach there, Jim Montgomery, who had very, you know, almost no NHL experience, but, you know, was kind of one of these up-and-coming rising stars. So Rick Bonus was there for a reason, um, not, you know, not to hold his hand or, you know, again, what I said before, not because he was a coach in the 80s or 90s of some really bad teams. He was there because his recent work was good and, you know, on ascending teams and teams near the top. So, you know, that kind of work where you can recognize – you know, what, what talent is available to you? What, what's on your bench? You know, what's the first line strength? What's our defensive strength? What does our goalie do well? How should we play to get the most out of these guys? I, I really think you've hit it on the head. I mean, I remember those playoffs in the bubble where Dallas just kept on surprising people. I mean, suddenly the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, forgot how to score. Or did they forget how to score? Did yeah. they just play against a team that was ready and maybe better prepared to play their way. And, you know, the team that can play their way more and longer is going to be usually the team that goes on. You know, is that what Dallas did to Vegas that year? Well, and Colorado as well. Okay, well, there were some lucky breaks along the way. Colorado had their goaltending issues, as I recall. And, you know, Vegas had some injuries. And 
but all those things aside, I mean, everybody's got those issues. Who can convince their players to do it a certain way longer than the other team? To me, that was the story of the Stanley Cup final this year. You mentioned Jared Bednar and John Cooper, two elite coaches, you know, nose to nose. And what happened? Well, Colorado, to me, played their game earlier and more often and for longer than Tampa Bay was able to. We can get into the whys and whats, but that's basically what happened. That's good coaching. Um, we've, Like you said, we've seen this from Rick Bonus in, in recent times with Dallas. Again, this year, they maximized you know, their strength. They, he told me uh, after the scrums today, he goes, we weren't a 115-point team in Dallas. We, you know, we got everything out of this team we could get out of them. We played a certain way. We played to our strengths, give us the best chance to win in that first round. I'm not sure that many people had the stars giving Calgary a scare. Maybe a few. I mean, there's always some wild upset picks out there. But that looked to be one of the biggest mismatches of the first round. And it turned out to be, you know, the overtime nail biter. And I, I would, I would say the players had the most to do with it, but coaching had something to do with it. Tim, given how well you know his personality, I mean, some coaches would get their nose out of joint being the second choice. What did you think about the way that Rick leaned into the? I would have been talking to Barry first, and and what does that say about him uh, as an individual? Well, I don't. I thought the the two of them handled that quite well today. I mean, just from a from a fan's perspective, if I if I'm interested in that, I'm looking in to see how that was addressed today. Um, you know, it's it's for some people, it's a big elephant in the room. So turn around and say hello to the elephant. I mean, what's you know what's what's the big deal about it? I, I again, I, I'll refer back to the story I did two years ago, and again, try not to pat myself on the back here. That's not me. that's not me. But one of the people. I have, you know, quoted from that story two years ago is Barry Trotz himself. Never claimed to know Rick Bonus intimately. They're not tight friends. But they've been colleagues. And, you know, there they were in the bowl two years ago. And Barry was throwing out bouquets to a colleague who he admired how he was getting his team to sort of buy in and play hard. Um, you know, the, two years after the fact, those words ring to me even more genuine and pertinent than they were at the time and they were very helpful at the time it's it's nice to hear compliments from others about a certain person i mean pete DeBoer was another who you know said he really didn't know rick that well two years ago um but in the coaching fraternity of the events they have and the odd conversations they do have you know the highest regard for someone like that someone you'd want to like i said spend a day with or an, an outing with just you know, a personable guy, someone who gives you a good vibe. Barry Trotz was already saying those things about Rick Bonus two years ago. He said today he got a text from uh, from Barry earlier this weekend. So, you know, how did they handle Well, Rick doesn't seem to be bothered in the least. I again asked him about that afterwards. Um, and again, what he told everyone was what he told me. And I'm sure what he'll continue to say. I would have done that for heaven's sakes. You know, I would have, if I was the GM, I would have called Barry Trotz first. So, <laughs> He's not bothered by it. He's always been his own man, and he'll tell you this until, you know, the day he's not here anymore. He's always going to do things his own way, the Rick Bonus way. He doesn't have a, you know, a Scotty Bowman playbook. He doesn't have, a, you know, the Jacques Lemaire playbook. He doesn't have any of those playbooks. He, he does his thing. He's going to do it his way. He's going to talk to the players his way. He's going to talk to all of us his way, and I, I think people are going to find it 
unique and in some ways i hope they find it a bit refreshing i think refreshing is the perfect word for it um tim uh in uh in talking about a coach who's got an amazing depth of perspective from his time in the league uh we could have brought in someone better to bring in depth of perspective from the journalistic side of things here um just one last last quick question just on you personally uh what's what's the future hold for tim campbell how how much longer can people read your work was this the last we saw of you today today may yeah maybe the last on nhl.com i am i am headed for uh, retirement here later this month um there's just going to be a lot more me time i one of the things i've missed in the last number of years is golf um so uh, me and golf are going to get to know uh, each other again a little better and i that i look forward to the most i think oh not, not everyone can be like ken and play 200 games a year while oh, yeah. i aspire to that though. Yeah. <laughs> um well we'll Tim, look forward I, to the next round together that's for sure I got to say this, Tim, uh, for, for the time that I got to spend on the job with you there, it's been an honor to do so. Uh, what a phenomenal career. Um, I'm sure our audience feels the same way. Uh, Kenny will speak for himself, but I know he feels that way. But um, so, uh, you know what, if, if we're getting you right on your way out, uh, what a get for, for K&R here tonight. Thank you so much and great job, great career. Well, thanks to both of you. And, I, you know, it's been my privilege to, cover so much in the way of sports here in Winnipeg and, and in other places. And, uh, and one of the best gifts is being ha- able to hang around with guys like you all the time. It's, it's been a lot of fun and uh, that I'm sure I will miss. Phenomenal stuff. Yeah, Thank thanks, you so Tim. much. Appreciate Tim. it. We'll, Have a great day. We'll guys. see you on the Thank golf you. course. Take care. Thank thanks. you. All right, Ken, first, before uh, I want you to close, Oh, we got to kind of share our thoughts on this, but I just wanted to again uh, say thank you so much to, for, to the Johnson group for uh, helping sponsor us here today, making sure that uh, we got this uh, this show out there and the shows that's coming up week that we're very excited for. And of course, just wanted to give a shout out to Cambria who also are helping us get this done. Just a list of the sponsorships that they've provided in our community and the donations that they've provided. Phenomenal organization. We're so proud to have both of them on board. Uh, just one last time, thank you so much for your support. It means the world to us. And Ken, uh, go. What does this all mean to you today? Oh, just fantastic stuff. I mean, we were looking forward to having Rick on. I mean, we weren't sure how long we'd have him, but uh, as we've come to know or realize about Rick over the years, uh, open book, right? I mean, this was we got to know a little bit more about Rick the person, about Rick and his philosophy. And, you know, this guy's a straight shooter. I mean, the, his, he oozes passion, and he, he wasn't afraid of the hard questions. I mean, I know that a lot of our listeners and viewers have been wondering about Mark Shifley, um, Rick Bonus isn't here to snow you. If he didn't hear passion in Mark Shifley's voice, he wouldn't be pretending uh, like he did. So I know there's been a lot of debate as to what direction the Jets might be going here in the offseason. Uh, I think that we're going to see a rejuvenated Mark Shifley. And I'll, I'll use Ryan O'Reilly as an example. And yes, it took a trade for Ryan O'Reilly to find that passion again after he left the Buffalo Sabres for the St. Louis Blues. And I'm not comparing Ryan O'Reilly to Mark Shifley. He's a way different player. But I think for all the people that were worried about Mark Shifley, I think Mark skates with Ryan O'Reilly on occasion. I think he is going to sort of get back in the hot tub time machine and remember that he loves hockey. I mean, this is a guy who entered the organization as someone who loves the game. I think his joy level has been low the last couple of years during the pandemic seasons. And I think Mark is 
going to be poised to embracing that leadership role and getting back to being the player, the two-way player um, that we've come to see and maybe even a better version of that, to be honest. Um, I got to say this. I took a, a, I was out at the Lactabani Fair. I'm, I'm from Lactabani. I was out at, it was the big weekend. And so shared some news about this. I, I took a look at this and I'll be honest, Ken, uh, you know, some of the hires that we were expecting, uh, I know that there was a lot of talk, talk about Rick Tockett, um, not to, not to go at it and maybe I shouldn't, but I would have a much different perspective on this if they, they would have hired Rick Tockett. And I think there's a lot of people out there who saw the Jets getting with, you know, with Rick Bonus ahead of uh, Rick Tockett as being a downgrade. Uh, I took a battering on Twitter for saying that I love this move. Uh, people were accusing me of being, uh, you know, having the True North write my tweets for me. And I, I, I got to say this, I, I, I'm, I'm blown away that there is that perspective out there. I mean, I know that there was a lot of people who were attacking the age of Rick Bonus, which to me is absolutely irrelevant. I don't know why we go there. He's shown he's a current coach, no matter what's happening here. But I mean, let's, you know, I've touched on a bunch of this throughout the show. But if I told you at the beginning of this that the Jets were going to get, you know, like erase Barry Trotz from this, because I think that's where this feeling comes from. The Jets were going after Barry Trotz. They didn't get him. So everything else from that point felt like a downgrade. But if I were to come to you at the beginning of this and told you, I'm going to get you one of four Stanley Cup or four coaches that took their team to the Stanley Cup final in the last three years. I'm going to get you a coach that outcoached and outmaneuvered Jared Bednar, who just won a Stanley Cup and looked phenomenal doing it, and a Colorado roster that was a far superior roster and did the same thing to Pete DeBoer and almost took down the Jack Adams coach this year. I, I mean, th this to me sounds like exactly what anyone would have hoped for. And we know, Ken, from covering this Dallas team, this is a team that basically what you saw from them in their results was about the best that you could have expected from them. I truly believe that that Bones got the best that you could get out of that, that Dallas roster in the time that he was there considering as well that this was a team that, you know, was like a bit really bad by COVID, probably worse than any other team the year that they just barely missed the playoffs and had their issues again this year. They had a whole bunch of games stacked up at the end of the year because of COVID issues. Um, but, the, but the thing beyond everything for me is the talk that he keeps talking about of having hard conversations, of having expectations, of making sure that those expectations are known. I personally don't think that there's been enough of that in this organization over the last number of years. We've talked about it, Ken. I've ranted about it. This is an organization that liked to keep things quiet, that didn't like to talk about problems. And my take on it was always, listen, drag the skeleton out of the closet, show it to everybody, say, this is what we're dealing with. Let's get at it. Don't let, put it in the closet and say, well, no, there's nothing in the closet. I feel like that's been a little bit of what the Winnipeg Jets have done over the last number of years. And I don't know if you felt today, Ken, I thought I did, but Rick Bonus comes out, there's not a question you don't ask him that he doesn't tackle directly and head on because again, he doesn't mind having tough conversations. I thought this was far and away the most open version of Kevin Shevel Dayoff that we have ever seen, 
ever on the time on the job. He 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 took questions head on. He didn't hide from things. Uh, he didn't hide from questions. He didn't talk around questions and not try and give answers. Kevin Sheldayoff was as direct as I've seen him. I think that this is an organization that is going to benefit from the real talk, from the hard conversations that have not been happening over the last number of years, and that uh, Rick Bonus is going to drag it out. And I think that in the end will be the true value of him as a coach. Never mind, I believe he's tactical enough to be able to take on some of the best coaches in the NHL. I think it's a great hire. Last word for you, Ken. Yeah, and I think it's this is very important uh, that Kevin Sheveldayoff was listening to the people that were talking to him and probably gave some pretty direct answers in terms of how they viewed the organization. Uh, I know a lot of people are talking about John Tortorella getting an interview, and I think it's a smart move. I mean, get some opinions. I mean, Kevin Sheveldayoff said it himself. They haven't had a real – I mean, when they hired Paul Maurice as the interim coach – I think he's the only one that they talked to when they replaced Claude Noel with him. So, I mean, I think it was an important time for the organization to get some perspective, some outside perspective. And I think that the fact that they're talking about it openly shows some growth in terms of where the organization is at. Uh, I think it was very important for them to be doing that. And now it's going to be about how they apply it to their roster construction and their personnel, right? I mean, that's the other part. When you hear a bunch of things from coaches and other outside people about where your team is at, now it's about what they do in terms of their next moves. So uh, that that's what I'm going to be looking forward to in this next little stretch. We're going to have a draft preview show coming up uh, you know, in the next couple of days here. We're going to nail down the times, but we're going to continue to roll out, I think, the four, four more shows here uh, leading in to free agency and just the last one about Tim. I mean, uh, Tim Campbell's been the you know, longest-serving member of the media uh, in this town for a long, long time, and uh, he was a great person, a great mentor to be around in my early days covering the Manitoba Moose, and we just want to wish him all the best, as you did as well. Excellent stuff. Uh, and we want to wish all the best and wish uh, a lot of thanks to our uh, chat room who came awesome. brought it today. I know things got a little bit uh, – We're listen – we're hearing you with the subs only chat. Yes, we find it annoying just as you do. Uh, we'll get on that for next time. Uh, we haven't really experienced this before. We want to acknowledge it uh, because your comments mean the world to us. And we love making those part of the show. Uh, and we love the people who take it seriously or a little unseriously and like to give us the ribs here and there. That's uh, actually my favorite stuff about it. But thank you so much for everyone who tuned in. Please come give us a check out this week. We've got lots of really great content that we wanted to hit up and make sure that you're prepared prepared for the draft, prepared for free agency, prepared for everything that you need to know about the Winnipeg Jets as they kind of get out of the busy season here. Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. We will see you later on this week.